welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. Hey Paul, welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. How are we doing? Yeah, well, good. Thanks, Danny. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. You know, um, it's been it's been a nice sunny day today, so I can't really complain at that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's always a bit depressing. I prefer it when it's raining when I'm sat in the office because you feel like you're not missing out on anything. Yeah, that's very true. It's <laughs> it's always a case. You know, usually it's like Monday to Friday really sunny, Saturday Sunday raining when you've got time yeah. off. Guaranteed, guaranteed. Yeah, and and the the other note there is never look at Apple weather on your phone either because it's never accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly, first first bit of a tip of, a, of the podcast there, Paul. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Paul, so, you know, usually I, I tend to ask my guests, like, a tagline or a logline to kind of summarise who they are. Do you have yours at hand? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I gave this a little bit of thought when you when you sent it over. So, um, it's, it's based a bit on, I suppose, how I sort of like to come across with my personal brand online. So, um, um, what, what I've come up with is um, a generalist digital marketer with morals. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. Um, we're going to touch upon that in a second, definitely. Good stuff. First thing I want to do is I want to take you back to when you were a kid and the teacher yes. would say to you, Paul, what is it you want to be when you grow up? What What was the answer you would give him when you was a child? Yeah. So I think, I think the first one I can remember is probably I wanted to be an archaeologist. Um, probably based on the fact that I liked Indiana Jones, probably nothing else other than that. So, uh, when, when when I remember actually looking into it a little bit more and realising it was sort of you know middle aged men in socks and sandals digging around in the mud, not quite as uh, not quite as exciting as uh, Indiana Jones. So that's probably the first one I remember. Um, and then I think I think after that, when I started properly thinking about what I wanted to do around sort of end of primary school, beginning of secondary school, I always wanted to be a film director. Okay. Yeah. Ah, that's two completely different things which is really interesting actually yeah okay yeah so um i guess you know paul i know you from and we'll probably jump into how we've met um but maybe for the guys who who don't know you maybe you could give us a bit of a whistle stop tour of who you are and kind of where you've come from and to, to kind of where you've got to right now yeah of course yeah, yeah yeah so um so i started out um i went to university and studied like sort of more graphic design focus but also filmmaking as well so it was a sort of it was art design and media was the name of the uh, of the course and it was more through sort of chance than design that i ended up on that course i had i had sort of a perfect combination of a levels and i've never even um planned it like that i remember chatting to some of my friends on my course and they uh, they were sort of comparing notes on oh so how did you get through the interview to get onto this course and stuff and i was like what interview um, and it, it turned out that I was the only one who didn't have an interview just because I happened to have the right combination of A-levels, which were English language, English media, um, art and design graphics at the time as well. So um, I've never planned it like that. And I think that's probably where I've ended up how I have. It's never never like a grand plan. I think when um, people talk about where they've ended up in their careers and stuff like that, you, you know, when you go to an interview, you try and make it sound like, you know, you've had this master plan since the beginning and it all fits together perfectly like this amazing puzzle. But actually, it's just a load of sort of, oh, I've tried a bit of this, didn't work, tried a bit of that, didn't work, and then sort of finding your way as you go along. So, um, yeah, so that, that uh, my first job from university was working for a design agency. So what I was called then was a new media designer. Um, and the reason I ended up in that really was not actually not anything to do with my degree. It was very much, um, we, I had a, like a geeky friend at uni um, and what we did is when we finished, we stayed we stayed at uni between the period of us finishing our course 
and then us um, going on to graduate. So we thought we'd have a good three months of, you know, enjoying it and not having any deadlines and stuff like that. And we spent that time, uh, me and my housemate with my other geeky friend, going into um, the computer room and teach him teaching us how to code websites because um, we wanted to get a sort of online portfolio. And this was sort of early 2000s, late 90s. So um, it was all quite new and exciting websites. Um, and actually, I probably learned more in that three-month period than I did in my entire degree. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, it, yeah, it was really, really good. And so that that allowed me to go and get that first job as a new media designer. So, you know, hand-coding websites in, uh, in Dreamweaver and uh, using Photoshop to design and stuff like that. And um, I think it was a time a bit like app design was a few years ago where everyone wanted a website but no one actually knew how to make them any good um and so i just sort of fell into that role worked there for a couple of years it was quite a, a tough environment it was very very competitive we used to um we used to compete with each other really that was how the agency was set up so we'd have big clients like mercedes-benz or budget rent-a-car or whatever come in and then we'd have to separately work on our pitches for them um, given this is my first job, so I'm, you know, early 20s. And we, so you'd be sort of hiding in the corner, making sure the person next to you doesn't see what it is you're working on. Um, and then you'd have to t- go take your turns going into pitch to them um, and then hope you got chosen. So um, I survived in that for a couple of years. Um, and then the company had some financial difficulties. And um, I, I thought about what I wanted to do next. So um, the company obviously went under there. So it was quite quite tough getting made redundant from your first job. But in hindsight, I think that was quite a, a good experience for me. I didn't, um, I didn't have any, you know, dependents or anything like that. I didn't own a house or anything like that. So it was probably quite a good time for that to happen. Did a bit of traveling, um, and then, um, and then came back and I thought, bright lights, big city. I want to, I want to go to London. I always um, loved going to London when I was a kid. My grandparents used to take me there every Christmas. Um, so uh, a job came up, which was uh, working at a sort of a federation of schools. Um, but it was very much a sort of design role. So it was overseeing all of their prospectuses, all of their um, websites, all of that sort of stuff. So there's a bit more print design involved. Um, and I even got involved in the long term in going into things like um, uh, devising what the assemblies would be like. So I'd make them like grand 15-minute video presentations, you know, with all the all my favourite tracks, music playing in the background and stuff. And then that would get sort of farmed out to all the different colleges so that's that thinking about it's probably the job i enjoyed the most because it was so diverse and I, I enjoyed the you know sort of the interaction with the pupils and stuff like that it was really good um did that for about five years and ended up managing some staff it became bigger and bigger federation grew um uh met my wife there and then um we decided to settle down and move out of london and uh uh i've got a job at university so staying in education but it was more focused on sort of print design and stuff and then that's when i really sort of hit upon digital marketing and uh and uh yeah yeah and that was a really steep learning curve so i um i started off there as a sort of uh print stroke web designer i would say um and moved right up to uh, to head of digital um at the university so it was university of bedfordshire and um not one of the best performing universities but what was good about it was that i got to really um really try loads of different stuff Uh, there wasn't you know it was really um really open and you could just say let's try this and if it don't work that's fine we've learned something so really enjoyed that um learned loads got loads of you know analytics became massive um i was never very good at maths at school so that was again a learning curve um and then um moved on to my current job so i'm currently working at um 
a, a big uh, FTSE 250 um, uh, construction company, which again is similar, sort of sim- similar in a lot of ways, um, more similar than I thought actually, because it's quite quite a siloed, um, quite a siloed organisation, a massive organisation. Like at the university, you have obviously careers, you have students, you have research, and and where I am at the moment, um, there's there's loads of stuff going on there um, as well. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I've probably gone on a bit long there, Danny. No, 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 not at all, not <laughs> at all. Um, and I guess you know, I'm trying, I'm trying not to jump into this conversation too much. But um, yeah, before, of course, no, go for it. Before we jump in, so usually I ask my guests to pick. Um, let's go with four, four numbers from one to a hundred, please. Okay. Uh, let's say three. Okay. Uh, twenty-two. Yep. 44. Okay. And 98. Awesome. They will all become clear later on down the line. Okay. All right. Cheers. So, so I guess, yeah, I mean, um, so for me, for me, Paul, I guess, you know, I, I came across you, I think it was at the digital engagement conference. Um, yeah. I think I was doing a talk on how to use WhatsApp as, but how to build communities for learning. Yeah. Um, and you was doing a, a, a presentation, if I can remember rightly, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, it was on, I think it was called Shaping Your World or Shaping Our World. Yeah, Shaping Your World, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so that was, um, the, it was sort of very campaign focused, so it was talking about some of the new technologies we'd use, and it was basically um, just in a, in a couple of lines, but that was all about uh, making uh, the construction industry look attractive to young people, so sort of 11 to 15 year olds, and the sort of campaign we'd launched to try and own that issue. So for me, it was really interesting. I guess one of the things which which I come out, I was like, first of all, I need to get to know Paul a little bit more because that was awesome. Your presentation was brilliant. Your, your slides were different. It was just, it was it was enjoyable to watch. Okay, um, thanks, Danny. And then it was kind of one of the things where I've, I've kind of always been saying how L&D should be looking at digital marketing and marketing and, and looking at, you know, there's so much crossover and, and kind of how actually if them two, them two, let's call them teams, work together, you could get yeah. really kind of specific and, you know, you, you can do so much more, work so much more magic, I guess. And yeah. actually it was probably one of them things where I thought, mm, am I even in the right job? You know, and I think I spoke to you about kind of, you know how to, how how I can make a transition into into kind yeah you of, did yeah 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 well obviously we've had a bit of a chat about that before I mean it's it's a it's a really interesting thing because on the flip side of that obviously I've always I've sort of found myself going from sort of graphic design to to digital marketing and uh, and I and then obviously I you know I, I uh, having spoken to you I think oh maybe maybe the L and D side is something I'm more interested in uh, because you're right there is more of a crossover there that I hadn't even thought about before. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things which obviously came out from from looking at both our talks was using social media tools as a way of learning, and it's come. And actually, I'm doing a talk in June, and I'm talking about how the experience needs to be more like consumer grade technology, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. which I can jump on in a sec. But I guess maybe maybe yeah, tell maybe if you could, you know, given you know I don't know how sensitive this stuff is, but maybe yeah, if you yeah. could you, maybe just share a little bit about what shaping your world was and and how it how it looked and worked yeah of course yeah yeah yeah. so um uh, basically the way that we were set a challenge by our by our ceo at the time that you know we need a campaign that pulls together um everything we do um at the group so kia where i work at the moment the construction company but we're as i said we're such a diverse group we 
we we do the highways, we do facilities management, utilities, construction, all of this stuff. Um, it's very hard to bring it together into one campaign. Um, so we, we pitched some ideas and, you know, we had a, an away day where we came up with different ideas. And, and the main thing I think that everything had in common was people and how, um, and, and I, I know this is true actually of a lot of industries, a lot of industries say, oh, we have a skill shortage. Most people I, I, I uh, speak to say, oh, we have a skill shortage, but this is something where we sort of identified and there was a, re- there was a report that had come out a few months earlier saying, you know, we need to, we need to to keep this of uh, this built environment going with the roads and the infrastructure and, and the buildings that we need and maintaining them all. And there won't be the people in the future to do it because it's not seen as an attractive industry. So what we wanted to do is make it look like an attractive industry. And actually a lot of people have tried that already. Um, but um, what, what we decided to do instead was, was sort of change it up and be really bold. And it was good that we were given, given carte blanche to do that really, because, you know, a lot of them are very much what you expect to see you know, graduates wearing high vis, hard hats. It's like get into construction. Um, so uh, we we looked around and uh, we we looked for sort of ideas to sort of steal from other other sectors, really. So one of them particularly was a campaign which Barclays had done. I think it was at a music festival whereby you could go in and answer some sort of questions about yourself, and it would spit out like a little fun avatar based on what you'd chosen as your as your choice. So we thought, oh, that's quite a good little hook. Um, for for sort of gamify it a little bit and just sort of get people in. So that was the first stage of it was to create this sort of avatar builder, and that was uh, that, that was really really fun because we we'd come up with a sort of personality profiling quiz and 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 it would tell you what sort of job you'd be able to do. But it'd be a really fun cartoony character with really subtle bits of built environment. They'd have like I don't know a little road sign necklace or um, yeah um, one of them had an Australian hat like road cones hanging off it instead of corks and stuff so um, coming up with all those ideas was really fun and then what we wanted to do was sort of lead them through the journey of the campaign um, and uh, and take them on to the next stage which is a sort of interactive street scene where it sort of breaks down myths and makes it look exciting and then finally come to some animated videos and some profiles some job profiles of actual people because everyone thinks oh you work in construction you're either you know putting bricks up or, or or whatever but you know you've got quantity surveyors or um design managers who are amazingly skilled at what they do architects and earn a lot of money as well so so breaking down those myths and that was the main part that i was involved in there was a whole nother piece that careers were doing whereby um i'd, I'd work with them on sort of um presentations so what they would do is they would actually go out and do some schools engagement take these tools with them um, and present on all of this stuff, talk about, about their experience, and, and then we could we could do really good measurement on that. So we could actually say, you know, how many schools have we engaged with um, and actually try and sow the seed as early on as possible, really. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, and the first thing we did was launch a report. So basically say, this is the problem, and then obviously came up with the solution, which I've just talked about. So... Uh- it's really interesting this because you know from the, the key things which I remember obviously other than you know your, your presentation and you know one of the things which stood out to me was kind of the use of was it like um, you, did you use snap codes and beacons yeah. and, and yeah and so, stuff? so at the time what, what we decided to do is we wanted to sort of oh make it unique so we almost we we, we we and we trademarked it so we thought well what are the latest you know what what are the latest trends that that sort of age group are doing and 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 that was at a time when I remember talking to you about QR codes, actually. And I said, I, I loved your presentation, Danny, but 
I didn't like the QR codes, but actually, I'll take that all back. I apologise, because uh, QR codes are big again, thanks to the latest um, Apple update on their phones. But um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, you were right. I was wrong. But um, uh, I was like, well, I don't want snap codes. One, they look ugly. Two, you know, you've got to download a separate app to use them and all that sort of stuff at the time, a, a year or so ago. So um, I thought, well, what's the latest thing? I thought, well, snap codes are just out. That's where everyone's at, Snapchat, and that's probably died off a bit now. Um, so what we would do is make it as easy as possible for that demographic. And obviously, they would recognize that snap code. So, so the way we did it is we um, created what we called like virtual world plaques. And um, that was a literal plaque, like the blue plaques that English Heritage do. And on all of the projects that we delivered, we'd speak to the client and say, can we screw this plaque to the building? And we'd have no care branding on it. Um, it would be just shaping the world. And the idea would be people would come along, either scan the snap code. Um, there was a URL on there as well. And we also had um, beacons in them so that uh, people with the beacons enabled on their phone, for example, if they had an Android phone, would walk past it and it would beep and it would say, interact with me. And then we used um, Blipper, which, again, is another thing we'll, we'll talk about in a minute that sort of uh, hasn't quite died to death, but um, has, has served its time, maybe. Um, used Blipper. So what people would do is they'd get the Blipper app and they'd scan the plaque and a little host avatar would pop up. So if it was, uh, we did a building near the BBC, so it would be um, founder of the BBC would pop up and say, hi there, learn about this project. And uh, there'd be a bit about the people, so who worked on it, how we supported the community when we did it. We could advertise jobs on there, but it would be very much carrying on that collaboration with the client. So rather than delivering the building for them and then disappearing off, we'd keep talking to them about keeping that content fresh and they'd be able to advertise themselves on there and the great stuff they've done to improve that building as much as we could. So by having all that together in in one plaque, it sort of made it our our own sort of trademarkable collection of little digital tools, really. Um, and I remember actually going to Blipper's offices um, in London Bridge, and I, I, I'd done it all, and I'd shown them, you know, this is what we're doing. And they were like, wow, wow. You know, we're, you, we've never, ever spoken to a client directly before. We just deal with agencies who recommend that we they use Blipper, you know, um, to actually have a company come out here. And then they said, and also, why have you put our logo next to Snapchats? We, they are our chief competitor. So we had to do, <laughs> we had to do, we had to do quite a lot of, um, of talking them around about why that would work and how it would work and stuff. And they were, they were really supportive because they'd never seen it used like that before. So, um, yeah, yeah. But as I said, it's, it, it's amazing how fast things move. Cause I think, I think that approach is dated already. Yeah. So I think maybe, you know, the social, the social, the tools which you use, maybe, you know, um, Blipper, you know, we, we know the trouble in times that Blipper's been through and stuff. But I still yeah. think AI has its value. I just oh, think... Oh, completely. Yeah. It, and, and I mean, and the reason we chose Blipper was because that was the... I'm very much, I like, you know, doing stuff in-house as much as possible and sort of owning it rather than just relying on agencies all the time. And and um, Blipper was the only self-service AR tool. In fact, it still is. Um, and it is still going. It was it was saved for how long we'll see. But... Um, whereby we could actually be really agile. You know, we designed the avatars in-house, we'd upload them, we'd test it, we'd print plaques, and then off, off we went. And there's, so you're right, there is a real gap in the market there. And that's why I think Blipper was was saved just before it died um, for that very reason. Hmm. I think, you know, the talk which I'm doing in June, I'm talking about kind of human-centered design, um, bringing in experience design and, and looking at kind of campaigns and stuff like that. And I talk yeah. about this consumer-grade technology. And I think 
I mean, I don't know if, if, you know, Paul, I'm making an assumption here, you know, whether you use this kind of design thinking or this human-centered design approach when you're designing. But I guess, you know, for me, if someone turned around to me and went, right, you can design experiences and campaigns for a living, I'd be like, right, where do I sign in blood? Like, that, <laughs> that sounds like my like my ideal dream job, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And it's really it's really interesting because, yeah, you're right, it's just all about the people, isn't it? And that, and that goes on to a lot. I mean, I've just come off the back of a, a massive sort of nine month website project which is uh you know pretty much put me on my knees and uh and uh, and, and that's that's exactly the same I, I saw something on twitter uh, i think earlier this week which was which was really 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 good and i was like yeah i know exactly what it means because we've been we talk about user testing all the time and we're like we need you know we need to test users we need to test users but actually you're not doing user testing you're doing design testing you're not testing the user you're testing the design um and i think there's that's 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 quite a good differentiation to make really um and yeah and, and it's about that constant feedback and that way people think and stuff i actually went to an agency um a few weeks back and they pitched themselves as it's all um sort of psychological design and it's all about you know eye tracking software but even more than that you know all about persuading people to do things in different ways and the way you move a button one place or the way you slightly rephrase a word you know or you reward people even though they don't realize they're being rewarded and actually my, my wife talks about it sometimes she's um she's a teacher and she she tried this technique on me when we were first married where she would ask me to do something and then she'd say thank you um before i'd done it and then i think psychologically you think well i've had my thanks so i will definitely do it because i've all, I've had my reward before i've done it do you know what i mean ah. and, that's a, and that's a technique she gets taught in teaching and it took me it took me a good few years to wise up to it Wow. Okay. That's a, <laughs> it's um. I mean, it's really interesting. There's a there's a couple of books which just spring to mind. Actually, thinking about it. there's one called Nudge. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. No, no, I haven't heard of that one. No. Um, Nudge. It's about kind of you know example being um you know when you're driving your car and the petrol light comes on, the petrol yep. light isn't to say, um you know petrol's running out. The petrol light is there to kind of change context and nudges to say. Or break what you're doing, your car's going to run out of petrol. And it's about yep. that kind of building that habit, nudge, habit, change of context, going for your car up. Um, yeah, okay. But there's a, there's a couple of great books which which is about kind of um, habit and kind of how design and these kind of, how like an infinite scroll now has got this kind of reward system and pinned in it and how Facebook and stuff have these kind of endorphin, little endorphin hits. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I'll send I'll send them over to you. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. I mean, it's the same. Going back to that car analogy, it's the same as the um, the things that flash up telling you you're going too fast. The ones with the the smiley faces and the sad faces uh, are so much. I think there's some sort of stat, isn't there, about how much they're so much more proven to to work than the ones that just tell you you're going too fast. If that makes sense. And my my kids are the same. They see it and they see a smiley face and they sort of like, oh, well done. You know, because it's like my dad's a good dad; he's going the right speed. Um, whereas if it's just telling you the number, it's it's a bit different, so it humanizes it a bit. Yeah, no, no, no definitely. I think um, a couple of months ago, I was um, I was down London. Um, I say a couple of months ago; it must have been about a year and a half, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> and we did this thing outside schools. So you know, you got the speed, the the barriers, these concrete barriers, what are outside schools, so people yeah. can't drive into them. And what we did is they painted two of them to look like children. I was oh, like, okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. You, you know, when you drive past, you slow down. Bob's like, that's really good until yes. that becomes noise and it becomes standard. 
yeah i know exactly what you mean and yeah and and we almost what well, i've just talked about that example you're almost like that now you're like well yeah i, I get it now yeah, yeah. I, I, know, I know how this works i'm not going to fall for your little cheap tricks yeah and it kind of it gets that initial hit i think but then yeah. afterwards you're like actually that might be a child there next time and you've got this kind of behavior in the back of your head to go oh it's only a speed bump it's only a, a barrier and it almost goes like full circle and has the opposite effect yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting one um yeah. so looking at kind of you know and I'll, I'll probably jump into some of the stuff you've been doing later on down the line but looking at that kind of shaping your world um what what was your biggest your biggest learning from that and i guess what if you was to do it all over again how would you would you do it differently and if so yeah how? that's yeah that's a, that's an interesting one so i think um we i think it's all about forward planning and measurement i think so when, when we envisaged it we said this is going to be a 24 month campaign that that'll be it and then we'll be done because of the technologies we're using and stuff like that but um a lot more came from it than just um what we what we initially envisaged because what we actually managed to do was standardize across the business um proper measurement for our school's engagement which we didn't really think about at the time that that wasn't happening so what that what that did is have a knock-on effect to other departments so um i think early on is is sort of engaging other people in the business as much as possible and perhaps the, the type of people in the business who you wouldn't necessarily think you should so um we, we've seen it being used by sort of procurement that the procurement professionals are going out there and talking about it and sharing it and stuff like that. We never thought we'd engage with procurement. We're like, we just talk to the marketing people out in the business or the PR people out in the business and that's it. But it's probably to spread your net further and, wa- further and wider, I think, is probably one of the main learnings. Um, and as I said, you know, I don't like the phrase future-proof. I think it gets used, overused. Nothing's actually future-proof. But um being able to sort of refresh it and review it because we we all say it's like a gar- a website you know we say that's a garden that needs constant tending um and we always talk about that but actually there is a oh i've delivered that and i can relax now um that's sort of a natural thing to say like i want to do that there you don't necessarily go along and keep refreshing stuff as you should um so probably being a lot more and you know, you use, lose a bit of enthusiasm. We're like, what's the next thing and stuff like that. So probably being a bit more planned from the beginning of, okay, we've said twenty-four months. What does twenty-four months actually look like? And not be so um, obsessed with launch. Hopefully, that answers your question. No, no, definitely, definitely does. <laughs> so I'm just going back to your your tagline. So it was um, digital marketer with with morals. Was it something like that? Yeah, a generalist digital marketer with morals. I think the generalist bit is quite quite important because I. I've realised, obviously, the more the more I uh, the more I do, is that I'm sort of a an expert in a couple of things. I would I would I, you know I would be so bold to say, but but really a generalist because I'm I'm in house and I oversee all of digital marketing. Yeah, um, it's very difficult to specialise. But I, I think I wrote a blog post about it recently about how actually I think it's important to have a couple of things that you're good at um, and you properly um a, a, a sort of an expert on uh, rather than just being a total generalist yeah yeah completely agree completely agree i think you know i i have a good similar to you good few things what i'm skill set at but then i'm kind of like got my fingers in other pay in other pies and kind of just i think it's good to keep these things bubbling and boiling up just That's so you right. can stay on on top of it more than anything yeah exactly yeah and and the, with morals, explain that one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is uh, this goes way back. So um, I 
marketing can get a bit of a, a bad a bad rap really and you only need to talk about you know the the awful days of uh, search engine optimization when you know I, I, I used to work in an agency where I used to sit next to the person who looked after SEO and they just spent their entire day trying to sort of trick Google into getting stuff higher up on Google Google's a lot better at not letting you trick it now but you know they were little old tricks whereby you would you would write the text in the code or you put it on the page and um, make it white or, you know, the same color as the background so that Google <laughs> searches and brings you up to the top for that. Um, and, and I remember sitting next and thinking, oh, this isn't right. You, you shouldn't be doing this. This is, you know, this is, uh, this is not going to last. So that's where it first started. Um, and then, and, and I think we've all had it, you know, we rely a lot on analytics to, to prove our point. And I've, I've worked at, at companies and had, people come to me and saying, you know, this is what I want to prove. I want a good stat that makes me look good to prove this. And, you know, you know, the old saying that you can make analytics prove anything. Um, uh, so it's about that, that honesty piece, I think. Um, and just as, as you go through just being as, as honest as possible about what is working and what isn't, because again, as you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but you learn more from your failures than your successes. Um, and, the, and the other bit, I think, around around moral, moral peace and having morals is working for a company that you feel is is doing a good job and actually believe in what they're selling and you believe in what they're doing. Um, I, for me, I could never work at a company like a, a betting company or something like that. And I know some people can and they can completely reconcile themselves to it um, and easily look themselves in the mirror. But for me, it's about outcomes and seeing what you're doing, even though it's it's marketing and maybe it's not the core business of, of the business as people out there actually delivering the bread and butter stuff um having a sort of vicarious part in that right okay that's that's interesting i think i think there's um i think there's there's something to that about that morals piece and that kind of you know we have these we have these personal morals and um it is it's hard, I guess, when you work when you when you work. You know, sometimes I work. I've worked with clients in the past where fundamentally it doesn't sit well with you. You kind yeah. of it's like this goes against everything. What 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 I'm what I am about and kind of you know it's a it's a tricky one. But I think the um the white text and the, you know the, <laughs> the the stuff in the code <laughs> is unreal. So real. Oh yeah, yeah. There was, there was, there was all sorts. I mean, and obviously Google have, have properly wised up to that now. And uh, and you know, and, and fundamentally, you just need to write good content, good accurate content. Really, um, obviously, it's a lot more complicated than that. But um, but yeah, yeah. It was all these sort of like nasty little backhanded tricks to get your stuff as high up. And um, I remember um, work, when I used to work at the university, we on the first day of clearing, we'd be bidding for the word clearing so that we'd end up top. Wow. But of course, we're bidding, you know, on Google PPC, we're, we're bidding against other rival universities who want that as well. And you can actually see how much we're paying for it. And you can be like, oh, we're up to like eight quid a click now. And then we'd be like, oh, that's one of our competitors paying that. Let's get some people to click on it, cost them a bit of money and uh, <laughs> mess, up, mess up their pie chart. And I was like, we can't, we can't do this. This is like, <laughs> but yeah, you know, and then they'll be doing the same to us. And they'll be doing, and who benefits? Google. As you know, Google benefit from everything we do. Yes, <laughs> yes, we do. We do indeed. There's, um, I, I read a great book recently called Everybody Lies. Yes, okay. Yeah. Um, and it's a data scientist from Google. And he, okay. he talks yeah. about the analytics of what Google can prove now. And he used this model of, of what he picked up at Google. It's a great book. He talks about how 
using analytics now, you know, they talked about kind of this what what the analytics show about, you know, people's behind closed doors search information and and how you can predict based on analytics now whether a horse will win will win in a race due to its heart size and it's it's really oh, wow. interesting, really interesting book. Okay, yeah, no, thanks for that. I'll check it out. So so probably gonna go with a couple of quick fire round questions here and I say quick, they never are. So but <laughs> you know um if you was to kind of describe what you do to a three year old or a five year old, let's go with a five. How would you describe what you do to a five year old? Um, okay, so I obviously I've tried this with my kids. I mean, I, I basically keep it as simple as I make websites, and, and they get that. They they get oh, you make websites. Obviously, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, but yeah, that's probably what I go with. I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's a good. It's good. Sometimes simple is you know <laughs> is, is is definitely the best way to go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, if you were to give a gift to a, a book as a gift to five people, what book would it be and why? Uh, okay, wow. Um, mine would probably be a book called, I don't know if you've heard of this one, a book called Don't Make Me Think. Have you heard of that one? I've heard of it. I've not read yeah. it. Yet. Yeah, by a guy called, I think, Steve Krug, Steve Krug. Um, and that's 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 a really really good book. It's it's more about sort of um, web and mobile usability. Um, but yeah, I just I just learned loads about that. I mean, it's it's what what's really good is it makes it very very simple to understand. It's it, it, you, it's one of those books that you read. You like, well, yeah, of course that's common sense. Of course that's common sense. Do you know what I mean? And it, but but I wouldn't have thought to write it down, and I wouldn't have thought to to um, articulate it like that. Okay. Yeah, re- really good book, and it's it's quite it's not like a big hefty volume or anything like that. It's quite quite straightforward. Ah, okay. I've, I have heard of it. I think I've heard of it. I think I came across it. I was reading a book called um, "The Design of Everyday Things," I think by Don Norman. Okay. Um, yeah. I think yep. you know you know like how Amazon is now. You've bought this book, so we think you will like this book. I think I've heard it just by the title. But I'll definitely yeah, um, check yeah, it's, that it's, out. It's a good title. It obviously, yeah, it, it's one that sort of sticks in your mind. Yeah, definitely. I'll um, I'll definitely put it on the old reading list. Okay, cool. Um, so this can be kind of you know advice what you've heard in recent or right back to the start of your career. But what is the worst? What is the best bit of worst advice you've ever heard? Best bit of worst. Yeah. What do you mean by that one? <laughs> so, like, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a conversation what you've heard, but where you've heard someone go, "Here's a bit of advice for you," and maybe it's not you. Maybe it's something you've heard someone giving advice to someone else. But kind of, you know, that that kind of thing of where you go, "No, that's completely wrong." That advice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think. Again, this goes back to one of my old jobs. I, uh, someone I used to sit opposite. I used to have to say say this one a lot, and uh, it was it was always um, um, you should you should do it like that because that's how we've always done it. <laughs> I, I think it's it's like because that's the right way because that's how it's always been done, and 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 I don't need to tell you why that's bad advice. Yeah, yeah, that is, <laughs> that is shocking advice. <laughs> so. And a lot of these questions are kind of there to probe you, and and some of them are a little bit deep, and then some of them are kind of quite lightweight. But let's let's go with social for a second. Social media, in your eyes, is social media a net positive or a net negative to society? Overall, I would say positive. 
Okay. Okay, this is good. And who's free people? I I kind of asked you this many months and maybe even a year ago. But who's okay. free people who you recommend everyone should follow? Okay. Um guy called Dave Chaffee. Anyone who works in marketing will know him. He's the owner of something called Smart Insights. He's probably the most respected uh, marketer in the industry. Um, amazing website, Smart Insights. He's one of those people who you just like, how do you even think like that? So um, yeah, amazing stuff from him. And as I said, anyone who's done a CIM degree or an IDM diploma or whatever will, will know him. Um, another one who's really good is a guy called P- Paul Boag. Um he, he has his own podcast. He's sort of an advisor, works a lot with universities and stuff like that. And, and he's just, he, he just seems to be a bit ahead of the curve with everything. He does really sort of concise little blog posts. And, and again, it's, it's none of it I would say was particularly like groundbreaking or world-changing, but it's just so focused. One subject, here's how you deal with it, move on. So, um, so yeah, he's really good. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few of others. Probably another one is um, an American guy, and he doesn't even work really in the same industry as me. He's much more of a sort of web developer, I would say. Um, a guy called Brad Frost. Um, pretty technical, some of the stuff he posts, but he always makes it he always makes it fun, and it's always quite nice to get an American take, I think, on on how these how these things are developing and and, and evolving. Okay, okay, this is good. So, question for you then. So, if you was to see Paul tomorrow, what one question would you ask him? Uh, Paul Boag, if yeah. I was to see him tomorrow, um, I would say, I would say, how, how do you, how do you get buy-in to try something different? Okay. Perfect. I've just written that down. So I've okay. got, I've got Paul on the podcast. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he probably, um, I've been at a couple of events where he's spoken. He won't know me, but, um, but yeah, yeah. Tell him I said hi. Okay. Will do. <laughs> but I've got, there you go. I've got one good question. So at least make, make sure you listen to that one part. So then we can go. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Good, good, good work. So I guess one, one of the things which, um, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted you on the podcast, let alone just as, you know, the friendship bot started out there and the advice that you give me over the past and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously this thing of learning and, and marketing and this kind of remixing and, and what 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 could happen if, if, you know, the two teams kind of, you know, work together, so to speak, or be shared best practice or, or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, do, do you work with learning personally within your organization do you do you kind of share that or is it kind of still separate teams so to speak yeah i would say it's i would say it's very very separate uh, but what, what's really interesting is and and, and you've maybe think quite a fair bit about this danny is is what i do obviously is learning and development a lot of the time whilst obviously we're running external campaigns and we're getting analytics and seeing what's working and what isn't working and so i don't really work directly with lnd i would say it's very much up in the HR department, they, they deliver their sort of training. About. And in, in fact, I, I would probably admit our L&D is not my strong suit at all. And uh, you could give a much better definition of it than I could. Um, but um, I think what's what's really, really important and what I've realized yeah. is actually within the marketing team, the PR team, internal comms or whatever, we're, we're doing L&D all the time, or at least from my understanding of it. So we're always, it's always about teaching people. It's always about learning as well. So um, I, I write my own blog. Um, the main reason that I do that is so that I can go out and find good people um, online who are 
writing about the latest trends and I can keep myself fresh. Um, uh, every, if I know I've got a post to write every sort of two weeks, um, then yeah, yeah, that's how it works. So it's really interesting. I think, so L&D are doing this, I think it's they're slowly catching up with kind of some of the, the things what um, what marketing do, you know, when we talk about kind of personas, analytics and, you know, metrics and A-B testing and all this jazz. But maybe, maybe you know, some of my, some of our listeners um, don't, they, they, their only measurement they use is something called Kirkpatrick. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think I, this happens everywhere. So I think marketing is just... It's, it's all about money, isn't it? So marketing, you can prove ROI. So you run a Google ad, you can, um, you work for Amazon, you run a Google ad, you see 100 people clicked on that, 20 people bought the product. That's because of my Google ad and that's because of the UX of the website. I know that. I've proved my worth to the to the business. So um, that's led the way. But even in, in PR and even in internal comms, there was um, up until a few years ago, PR were measuring stuff on sort of column inches, um, you know, we, this succeeded this because we've got a lot of we've got potentially this many column inches, you know, rather than this many click throughs. People have dwelled on the website this amount of time. People have filled in this form. We've got lead data and that sort of stuff. And and internal comms is the same. I, I've worked with someone and I don't agree with it. Working internal comms are failed marketers. Um, so it, about how it was, you know, because because marketing is leading the way with that sort of stuff. But internal comms is caught up now um, and PR is caught up as well. And I think L&D can be put into that, that same bucket. Yeah, no, definitely. I guess, you know, it's, 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 it's a great shout. It really is. But I mean, if you, you know, look at, I guess, some of L&D's problems are, well, one, a lot of the products are going into this, you know, going to a more of a digital kind of you know mobile first digital first and all all this all the insert the buzzwords what are in there as well um, yeah but it's the right way to go you know it is d- digital first and stuff yeah well, i guess if and this is a tricky question because you know your expertise isn't in learning and development as such but what do you think l and d could take from from marketing you know maybe let's just start with personas or, or something like that what 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 do you see as a, the big wins what l and d could take yeah, yeah. Um, um, personas is a is a tricky one actually because um, and and I don't know if if the personas in N and D work the same as the personas in marketing. Um, you would have heard this, I'm sure. But um, uh, when we were working on our website project, we were looking at personas, and uh, you know, we were we were trying to categorise users and who would do what and who would act what and and um, one of the things that, that that was told to us and apparently I think it's probably quite an old an old anecdote was. We came up with a persona, and it was a sixty-year-old man. Have you heard this one? No, no, no. no okay, it's a sixty-year-old man. He lives in the country. He has a roast dinner every Sunday. He walks his dog after that, um, and then that's your persona. But then, obviously, on the one hand, it's Ozzy Osbourne. On the one hand, it's Prince Charles. So, <laughs> so, so, sort of proving how personas don't really hold much heed from that point of view. So. So instead of personas, the way we we did it for the website, it was just more around tasks. So it was around pain points and tasks and why do I come to the website and what do I want to do rather than that traditional persona. And you probably don't do that in ND around, as I said at the beginning, you know, you give them a name and an age and a demographic and a and a home life because 40-year-old people act very, very, you know, you can get mature 40-year-olds, you can get immature 40-year-olds. So 
um that that's my take on on personas really okay yeah let's do it this way then so um <laughs> so personas so i guess okay so let's have a let's talk about a b testing and and i guess our split mm-hmm. testing uh, 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 yeah. what, but i guess you know we have if you look at it from an LD point of view, you've got your digital resources, you have an LMS, a learning management system. Yep. You have some people are using web portals, some people are using LMSs, some people are using, you know, still doing classroom. Um and maybe maybe, yeah, look at looking at it from an L, an A B kind of point of view. Yeah. Do you think there's any value to that for, for L and D? Oh, completely, completely, because um I, I would I would guess, you know, if you're sending out surveys where you're wanting people to complete um, com- uh, complete online courses or anything like that, then um, A/B testing is absolutely essential because it's all about constantly making improvements and constantly refining it to get um, a, a, a more accurate end result. Um, or getting it, or or your 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 measurement might might be around you know getting a certain number of people to fill something out or complete a training course in a certain amount of time because you've got to increase the drop uh, decrease the drop-off rate or something like that so anything that's teaching you as you go along positive or negative things can only be good okay so have, have you kind of with, with, with probably a b testing let's say have you seen kind of anything in the in the past which has kind of helped you make a helped you avoid a vital mistake um so so the way we, i've used a b testing is um on emails um, particularly whereby you would send an email out to, I don't know, 10,000 users and the first 500 would get one design, the other 500 would get another. Um, and then you'd, and then the system works out which one is getting the most click-throughs and then it sends that one. Then you do that again. So you slightly refine the design again. And the idea is, is you just keep iteratively um, making it better and better. So I've used it like that and, and and a very similar way for landing pages on a website, so seeing which ones are working. If we move this button over there, are they more likely to click it? Um, and you're learning about human behavior because you're like, oh, that's because of that. So I don't know if that answers your question or it ties into L&D. No, no I think it's a really good one. I think one, <laughs> one, of, one of the things we, um, we, we probably struggle on in L&D um, is the LMS. So basically, you know, Paul... I'm assuming you don't know, but you probably do. And mm-hmm. some of my listeners, what an LMS is. So basically, an LMS is a learning management system. Yeah. And the yeah, ex- yeah. the experience is basically let's just drop a load of content on there and assume that all our people are going to go on there. Nobody has ever said when they've joined a company, "Oh, I can't wait to get my hands on an LMS." It's a bit like an intranet. Yeah, it, I've, never, I've never seen a good intranet. Have you? No, and and this is exactly it's exactly <laughs> that. And I think because the person who's who built the intranet or the person who built the LMS, they built it not from a user experience. They built it yeah. from a this is a task and it's got to get there. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And also, you know, we have it all the time working in in marketing and PR and working for a company who are quite sort of technical in what they do you know you're teaching people how to write a lot of the time and you're saying you know they they send you a case study and you read it and you think oh this is pretty dull and then you you give them a call and you speak to them and something amazing pops out that they've been doing on that project and you think well that that's the hook that's amazing why have you not thought to put that in there surely that's obvious but it's just completely different ways of thinking and in their head they're just like i'm technical i'm speaking to a technical person who works in my industry but um the, all the different user types that you've got interacting with that LMS um, are, are wildly different to the people who made it or even 
that entire department just thinking the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is where that human-centered design comes into place, kind of. Completely. Yeah. L- let me get. Let me empathize and understand your frustrations more than yes. anything. First and foremost. Yeah, it's all about, and that's what we what we started with web projects is it, it's pain points. What are your pain points? What and and everything um, I try to do online is just about being helpful. It's just be as helpful as possible and solve people's problems because then you're writing good content, then you're doing good design, then you're doing good UX. So this kind of leads me beautifully into the other two things. So the one of the things which which I want to talk about is kind of segmentation and then kind of content strategy, I mm-hmm. guess. You know, a lot of the time, you know, we, we design, let's say we design learner journeys and we go, okay, this is how a learner is going to go through there and we're going to give them bite-sized bits of chunks of information and quite, you know, we call edible content, bite-sized, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. And actually, yeah, how do you, how do you, how do you use and how can you see L&D using segmentation and, and maybe talk a bit about the content strategy and how you did, how you come up with that? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, content strategy is a big thing and, and even, even the word content, I personally don't like the word content. I think it's, it, I think it was originally invented as a way for developers and coders to talk about everything that wasn't code. Um, and and now content gets used all over the place, doesn't it? A TV program is content. You're consuming more content. And and actually, I think it's better to actually call things what they are. So I've, I've made a sort of mantra when we did our web project of we call text text. We call photos photos. We call video videos. We don't otherwise everything just gets called content it becomes this mash, and you don't know what you're talking about. So um, almost stripping like it. it back. I remember I used to. It's when the li- I remember when libraries became learning resources centres, but people still called them libraries because that's what they are. <laughs> so so it's, it's like don't overcomplicate. Just call it what it is. Um, and in a way, and in a way, it's sort of to make yourself sound a, a, a bit clever. You know, oh, I'm, I'm a content designer. It's a content strategy. Um, uh, so uh, that, that might be a controversial opinion, but um, I think it's easier to keep it as simple as possible. So um, it's it's a it's it's a really interesting thing. So um, I've I've always one of, one of the things I always say, and I, I get bored of myself saying it, is um, it's just everybody is different, and you know more about this than me. Working in L and D, different learning styles and that sort of stuff, and I'm sure you've got an opinion whether or not that's a that's a good thing. But it's it's like when you um, when you book a cinema ticket, you've got. Some people want to go and talk to someone in person and go and book it. Some people go up to the ticket machine. Some people still phone up. Some people do it online. Some people do it via the app. Um, you're never going to be able to please everyone, but you should try. So um, it's about making it available in as many different formats as you as you possibly can um, and cutting, cutting whatever you do in a different way. So um, we're working on a bit at the moment around social value. Um, and to focus our minds, what we're doing is we're actually writing a brochure. That's going to have a very, very small um, uh, distribution, that brochure. No one really reads brochures anymore. But it, it focuses your mind around what are we actually trying to say? What images do we actually have, um, et cetera? And then you have that sort of piece. And then you cut it in lots of different ways um, for, for different audiences, for different channels and things like that. Um, but my, my key one is my, one of my bugbears is when someone sends me a PDF and says, can you put this on the website? <laughs> um, and, the, and the comeback to that is, well, you know, you go to watch um, Lord of the Rings at the cinema. You don't go and watch them projecting the book pages in front of you. It's a different medium. You should treat it as such. 
um so uh so yeah yeah so that's my that's my two pence on on content i probably haven't touched on strategy much well to be honest <laughs> you you've just nailed kind of lnd you know a lot of time ago here's a pdf we want you to do something with it and then it's yeah. like it's 25 pages and it's a case of right well no one's going to read that like yeah. no, nobody's got time you know time is a time is the most valuable thing in this day-to-day world which we live in yeah so kind of so why why are you asking me to fix something and then saying actually but it's got to have this word in from page twenty seven it's got to have yeah. this page in from t- page twenty two it's yeah. it's a bit crazy but, but yeah we get all the time I had that I had a meeting today actually and um, I managed graphic designer at work and he was someone asked him to uh, it's like I want a, I want an infographic and they sent him like a wall of text um, and said oh, I want that and he went he pushed back and said well that's that's not an infographic that's a document. Um, I can put some graphics on it, but it's not an infographic. But then, you know, the, the age-old thing of it's actually harder to write less, takes more time to write less and stuff. It's just it, it, people, people think, well, I've written that. I don't need to recut it for different people. But what's really interesting is people do do that in their in their day-to-day life. If you, you know, you talk with your friends a lot different than you talk with your manager at work or if you're an interview or something. So people are cutting the way they're, but you can potentially be saying the same things. So they're cutting for different audiences when they're talking. So why can't they do it at work when they're writing stuff? Yeah, it's a good challenge. It's a good challenge. So, so kind of how do you how do you approach segmentation? How do you how do you how do you put it into kind of a maybe a process of? And I don't like the word process, but kind of what's what's your flow on that? How do you how do you come up with it? So when you say segmentation, what do you mean? Well, maybe it's it's more like like segmentation of audiences. I don't. I'm, I'm just trying to think how how to define it. So, yeah. So say for instance, we've got a piece of a piece of I don't know content, or you know, maybe the way I'm probably trying to use segmentation is kind of more more in a kind of user groups. I'm not really yeah. Sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. So how do you how do you split stuff out for different things? So yeah, I think I think a lot of it is driven by the platforms that you use. So when when I when you say segmentation to me, what that what that means to me is around targeting. I think so. Yeah. It's yeah. it's how it's so when when you're setting up a Google Ad campaign, how do you segment your audience? How do you chop it up? Um, so whether you do that geographically, whether you do that by age, whether you do that by behaviour. Um, there's there's lots of different ways and it very much depends on the um, on the desired outcome so um, at the university what we used to do is we used to um, do a lot of google advertising for our courses and uh, we would we would trial lots of different things so we would we would look generally on that course what geographical area do people who are currently on it come from that gives us an idea of some targeting there to help segment it down a little bit um, we'd even go as far as using what Google tells you about their other interests. So I uh, was re- one course that they uh, it said, oh, they were into Bangra music. Um, so, okay. <laughs> okay. so we were like, okay, we need to be on advertising on websites that talk about Bangra music, maybe, or, or you know, um, radio shows that play Bangra music. We'll give that a go, you know, and, and put a little bit of money on there, a couple of hundred pounds, and see if that that actually brings back any um, any uh, sort of ROI, and then. I, what was really really useful there, and the main key thing we took away from it, was uh, we would see certain headlines would get much more clicks, and then you could apply that to the offline. So it's all about making the online affect the offline. So it was like, oh, on this course, they care about um, the um, uh, the facilities. On this course, they care about outcomes and careers. Um, 
So it really, really helps inform all of our strategies going forward. So again, hopefully that answers your question on segmentation. I keep switching on my marketing brain. No, no, no. That's, that's really good. That's really good. So um, I guess one of the things which I'm, I'm massively big on personally is kind of consumer grade uh, technology and kind of using social media as a learning tool. You know, one of, one of the biggest things we see in L&D is like, oh, we need to re- measure how many people. And like, you've got some good platforms. I use this analogy of fish where the fish live. Yeah. You know, yep. we, we don't need to recreate this wheel. So, you know, something like a lockdown Instagram, it could be the biggest win, especially internally from a culture point of view and stuff like that. Yeah. But have you seen any kind of, any great uses? And maybe maybe we can mix this into another a second part of a question, actually. Have you seen any, yeah. any great um, uses of social media as a learning tool? And actually, what's the best external campaign you've seen? Yeah, so I, I would actually go quickly internal. So um, if you, if you've used Microsoft Teams, yeah, yeah, um, I, I don't really like Microsoft programs generally, um, but um, that I thought that's absolutely fantastic. I remember from your presentation you were talking about WhatsApp, and that, that basically is that. Um, so what what I've tried to do at work is I do like a a Fact Friday. So I go on there and I put like every Friday on our internal team like a little sort of tricky little ninja tip so you know here's how to easily steal images from a powerpoint presentation here's how to um here's how to remove the background of an image in 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 uh, one click without any special software and stuff like that so so that's probably that probably ties into a bit into lmd so i find that works really really well um and gets yeah people are now like oh what are you going to do this week and then, and then uh, yeah yeah so that, that's a nice yeah, it's only a small thing but I, I i think it makes quite a big difference and then other people can start doing that as well yeah i mean the first thing what tends to happen with me is i go into a client and we go oh we need an lms i'm like no what you need did you need a thriving community yeah well yeah exactly because they that's like going to the doctors and say i need this drug yeah it's like no i i'm the professional here i will i will tell you what you need if anything, you've self-diagnosed, then we have it all the time in marketing. I need a poster. I need a Twitter account. It's like, well, why do you need that? What is the problem that you're trying to solve? And you're right. If the people aren't there to feed it, um, then you don't need an LMS. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I was working with a client recently, oh, same name, um, and he was like, we, we need, basically our problem is this, and we need you to bring in an LMS What has um, a community function. Yep. And I was like, okay, so tell me your problem. So we told me the problem. I said, oh, I can see you using Slack. Yep. Um, that fixes your problems. Why, why are you with us? And he was like, yeah, but our business won't sign off on Slack. We're yeah, using it we're, yeah. we're, we're using it naughtily. I'm like, hmm. So you, you, you as a user, as a person, I've already figured out the way around your problem, which tends to happen a lot of times anyway. Yes, yeah. And I've heard that as well. It's sort of like, we, we yeah exactly people it, it's a conversation and then they come to their own conclusion of what's wrong with them for example um but uh yeah yeah but it's 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 it's, it's an interesting one isn't it when people have sort of done all that self-diagnosis beforehand yeah it's craziness it's crazy <laughs> so going back to your um going back to kind of external campaigns what's the one what really stands out to you um okay yeah i mean i, I would probably say shaping your world um just because um, it was so massive and all-encompassing, and it was something quite different um, that, that that we've run. In that, it's um, it it it, it was somewhere where it, it proved to me that my employer let me let us try something really different and be really bold and trust us. And I think for me, that's something that's really important in the workplace is that you're given that autonomy. Um, so many people I talk to don't have it, um, and 
sometimes you don't realize how fortunate you are to have a bit of autonomy to sort of fail yeah yeah i, I remember um our previous employee we had come up with this great campaign and it was like really different and the first thing the business turned around is you can't do that it's off brand yeah exactly yeah it's internal brand anyway no it wasn't for external eyes yes yeah exactly and and yeah and and that's just people finding the excuse to be risk averse i think yeah yeah it really it really is yeah okay so Couple more buzz questions. Just, I just okay. want to be mindful of your time, Paul. Moment, anything? No, it's all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go for it. Um, so let's just pretend you've you've bought three billboards. These can be digital billboards if you like. And you're outside a stadium, and a million people are going to see this billboard once you leave the stadium. What do you put on that billboard to to? Um, it can be a, it can be a speech. It can be an image. It can be whatever you want it to be. But what what would you put on that billboard? Well, surely the best thing you could put on it, or at least a twist on, is pe- pi- video or pictures of the people who are looking at the billboard. Because if anything's going to get people looking at it, it's pictures of themselves. Okay. okay. Uh, but whether uh, what what you could probably yeah, I'm thinking out loud, but uh, whether you could you could put a marketingy spin on that, whereby you know you get some you know like these Snapchat filters where they make you look old or something like that, or um, or where it you sort of see yourself wearing the products that you're trying to sell or or something like that or or whether it's a, a video of the person earlier in the day who's passed and it recognizes them and it plays it back to them or something i think you know as soon as you put up you, you see it when you when you watch the football or whatever don't you as soon as people are on the camera like no it's me yeah. i'm actually on the thing <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that's going to get more attention than anything love it love it i think that's a great <laughs> shout a great shout so I guess when it comes to your, per- it can be your personal life, you know, it can be professional. These questions can apply to whichever. But what's mm-hmm. your biggest 80-20? So 80-20 being kind of, you know, 20% of my contacts in my phone, I dial 80% of the time. The other 80%, I dial 20% of the time. So it's kind yeah, of well, like that, a, that. That one's true. <laughs> yeah. So, so kind of, what, what do you, what's your biggest 80-20 in your either professional or personal life? Like what's your biggest, it's more like a life hack, I guess. Okay. All right. Okay. So I probably spend, obviously I spend more time at waking hours at work than I do at home, but I spend more time thinking about my, I spend 80% of my time thinking about my home life and 20% of my time thinking about work. Don't tell my boss that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I think, I think what that links into, I've got, I've got, I've got quite a big family. I've got four kids. So, um, uh, the the thing there is uh, when I always say whenever I'm at work I spend my entire time missing my children. Um, when I'm at home I spend my entire time trying to run away from them and get some peace. So <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, I love it. So I guess going back to this, um, and again this can be personal life. You know all these questions apply to the same. But what's the top three digital tools you're using right now? And and maybe maybe it's digital tools or consumer grade tools what people don't know about i don't know take it however you like yeah okay okay i mean this changes all of the time so it's it's ones that are particularly useful for me at the moment i would say um so we've started using a tool called content cal for our um for our uh, social media scheduling um it th- there's probably loads of tools like it it's um quite a sort of cheap and cheerful ch- tool but it is it's been exactly what we need for our business. We um, It allows a workflow so we can actually approve posts as they go up. 
you can schedule stuff. And um, what it's meant is that we've been really able to empower the business more to feel like they own something, but at the same time not be so scared because they know it's going to be looked at and posted by professionals. So, and, and the best thing I think with any digital tool is if it can kill email and cut down on email, it, it, I'm using it. So um, uh, yeah, so that's that, that works really, really well. Really, really good tool. Um, two more do you need from me? Yep. Wow. Okay. So um, uh, we're using a tool which you would have heard of. Anyone who's got a, got LinkedIn would have heard of a tool called Lead Forensics. Um, what that basically is, is it's a big online database of companies. Um, you plug it into your website. It's really good. Working in a B2B business, it's uh, really, really good. And what it does is it allows you to see the names of the companies who've been to your website, what pages they've looked at, how they got there. Um, and so we can really quantify leads and plug that into our CRM. So we can say, you know, you you have business with this client or you're bidding for work at the moment with this client. I know they've looked at 20 case studies on our site related to this bid work um, and we can lead score them. So um, just that level of intel is absolutely brilliant as far as I'm concerned. Um, another tool, which is a really fun little one, um, you probably use it. Have you heard of Pocket? Oh yeah, I love, I love yeah. Pocket. Yeah, 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 amazing. I mean, it's like um, it was called something else before. I can't remember what it was called before, but um, yeah, it's just a great tool for just oh, I've seen that. I'll read it later, and then you can just get it on your phone and uh, and read it later with um, and you can categorize things, and you don't need an internet connection. Um, great, you know, you're traveling. Oh, I'll catch up on Pocket. I, I do it all the time for the when I write blog posts, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. And, uh, and come back to it later. So yeah, they're probably the, the top three at the moment. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and it's good that you've got children, but I mean, we can apply it to your children or not to your children, but if you were to give a gift to a child, what gift would you give and why? <laughs> wow. That's a tough one. Um, if I was to give a gift to a child, oh, this is going to sound a bit corny, but I would say time, Okay. Yeah. So uh, time, uh, i.e. I, my time, I would say, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's probably the, the one. Beautiful. I like it. Time, yeah. time, is, time is one of them things where you can never, ever get back. So I think it's like literally like the most valuable thing you can give. Exactly, yeah. Okay, here's a deep one for you. Do you like yourself? Do I like myself? So... That's, that's, yeah. So, okay. So I would say, um, I'm my own worst critic. My wife would say that as well, that I am too hard on myself. Um, I, I would say that the, the, the main problem I have and whether or not you feel like this sometimes is I, I fluctuate between sometimes thinking I'm pretty good at this, uh, particularly at work, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, overconfident, um, you know, I, I know my stuff. I'm I'm hitting all my ROIs. I'm hitting all my stuff. I'm amazing. And then you have the oh, I'm making this up as I go along. What if someone finds me <laughs> out? I, I am blagging this. Uh, and uh, and I, I mean, I probably don't swing that extreme. But um, you know, sometimes I think to myself, I'm getting a bit puffed up here. Call it down, Paul. Or I think the opposite. Like, no, no, you're doing all right. You're doing all right. You're, you're making money. You're you're uh, you know, people seem to rate you. So. Uh, that, <laughs> Yeah, that, that's yeah that's probably sometimes i probably like myself too much and sometimes i probably don't like myself enough okay okay great answer <laughs> great answer so i guess we're coming to close to the end now what's what is the future of digital marketing do you think 
future of digital marketing. So um, it is, I mean, it's it's the future, it's the present, it's the part, it's people. Um, it, it's just all about uh, people. People used to, you know, think the future is this tool or it's, it's that, it's that. It's always going to be people. It's that simple. So um, whether that be um, people working in digital marketing and their skills, but really it's about how people interact with it. Um, um, because you can't, you can't predict that 10 years ago, it was like everyone's going to be digital. And then, of course, everyone suddenly gets bored of it all. It's like, stop bombarding me with this stuff. And, and everyone gets suspicious. Right now, I know I'm being tracked in everything I do. I know that if I, if I say, I had this the other day, I, my wife and I were talking about something quite dull, what color we were going to paint our kitchen. And then um, we didn't Google it or anything. And then we both get advertised that same color of paint um on on instagram so um <laughs> so it's um yeah so it, it's it, it's people will and how people interact with digital will dictate the future okay okay and what's the future of paul future of me well actually so uh his uh his hot press actually handed in my notice yesterday so what? uh my current employer so um i have just taken up a new role at the um Royal Veterinary College heading up their digital team. Wow! So I'm uh, I'm going back into education. So um, uh, e- exactly as I was saying earlier, you know, feeling that I'm working somewhere that's making a difference. So uh, I've got I've got ten more weeks in my current role, and then uh, I'm off there. Wow! Well, let me be well one of the first to congratulate you. Well done. Awesome well, thank you, Danny. Okay. Well, I guess going back. Uh, in fact, let me do one more question. So okay, yeah. if it was. Yeah, what's of and this is I'm going for five here, Paul. So this could be challenging, definitely. Okay, no, but go what, on. What's of five tips or five pieces of information you would give to someone in in L and D who want to either target target their audience or yeah, they want to take something from marketing and apply it. What's a five what's the five pieces of information, nuggets you would give someone? Okay, so first one is maths be good at maths so i i wasn't very good at maths at school i failed my gcse i got d and then i retook it when i was doing my levels and got b um and i thought that's fine i've done that now dusted i don't need to um worry about maths again but everything leads back to maths so if you want to do measurement properly um you need to be properly into that data and properly into um to analyzing it um so i would say i would say really upskill on um you know, on analytics tools. I, again, I wrote a blog post the other day about how everybody in their job um, working in marketing, and I think this is true for L&D as well, um, should be producing their own analytics. They shouldn't be going to a team to get analytics. They are the person who is responsible as much as for putting content on there for um, reporting back on that content. So, um, so yeah, so that's probably the uh, first one. You want five, do you? Wow, yeah. okay, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, bear with me a second. I'll give this a bit of thought. So um, another one is, and this is probably just, yeah, it's probably not necessarily MD, but it's like, um, uh, let me think. Wow, oh, you've, you've stumped me here. Um, oh, uh, so tips from marketing. So, so what, what you're saying is what works really well for marketing that you need to learn about? Yeah, I guess, yeah. It's kind of what, what, what can we nick? from marketing 
and you know it doesn't have to be L&D because you you know you might not necessarily know the L&D world but what's the five yeah. tips you would give to you know for marketing what's what in fact let's let's rephrase it what's the five things what have what proved the most value for you in in digital marketing okay yep so um one of them is uh, skills transfer i would say so um never ever be afraid to um share what you know because it's um, because you think you're going to be ripped off or, or plagiarized or whatever, because it's one thing telling somebody um, how to do things. It's another thing actually doing it. So um, so make sure you're just as open and honest with your colleagues as possible. And I've been fortunate to work in industries where that's happened. Even though we're competitors, we actually share best practice with each other um, rather than keeping your cards close to your chest. So I think that's a, that's a really important one for marketing and, and for digital because, you know, we all just want to get better together. So... Um, one of us around skills transfer. I mean, digital, as I said, just comes back to analytics all the time. So, uh, you know, improving, and that's why I think digital marketing in particular is is sort of seeing this massive rise because it's like, well, finally we can prove something. We can prove that stuff works. So uh, I'm going to struggle with five here, Danny. Okay. Um, okay, when it comes to campaigns, um, you know, when you design your campaign, what's... Yeah, like what? What is the, what is the one thing which maybe maybe we can use it on the, um, shaping your world. Yeah, maybe yeah we can apply it to that. But what's the one thing you kind of took from that where you think, wow, I didn't I didn't see this, and then now now I've seen it, it's really valuable. I guess I guess let me put it into my context to kind of see if that helps. But for yeah. example. Yeah, so so that's probably around. It's it's around keeping stuff fresh. It's around sort of constantly tending that garden. As, as I said, you know, it's like you can't, it's it's never a done job. So um and so and and the struggle there, I suppose, can be to keep up the the enthusiasm. You know, if you've worked for nine months on a web project and you've hit the go live, and then you're like, right now is actually the beginning now we start getting the stats in and working out what is working what isn't working what we need to tweak um getting feedback from the business and that sort of stuff it's difficult to to sort of find that energy to do it um but but i mean that's why as i said i've dabbled in print design and stuff like that that's what i really love about digital marketing is that you it's not about it goes back to that time piece you know you haven't wasted your time because you are learning the whole time. So um, if something falls on its falls flat, it's like that hasn't been a waste of time because I'm getting feedback on that. Um, I know some people have jobs. My brother used to work in a temperature where he was in a projects team, but never ever, so, you know, they, they, they pitch projects and then the projects would never happen and then they pitch another project and the project never, never happened. That's the worst job I can imagine where you don't have any end product to mm. and, you, and you take nothing from it. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I will I will help on this one and fill one out. I think everybody should check your podcast, um, your podcast, your blog, your blog. I mean, I learned so much of it when I when I came across it. Some of the things that you put on there, kind of top, top tools for 2019. Yep. There's, there's just sort of, there's just a wealth of knowledge what you've shared. So okay, thanks, Danny. As I said, sometimes I feel I'm a bit of a a generalist on there and it's like oh if anyone you know i write about search engine optimization if anyone who's an expert in that thing yeah okay this is pretty pretty schoolboy stuff <laughs> well it's all, it's all about that it's all about that context because yeah, yeah it yeah. might be someone who's like the expert at that 
but yes. for someone like yeah. me this is great knowledge and yes. you know yeah. i think it's about kind of understanding people will come there in your industry and people come there who's not in your industry wanting to understand yes. it yeah yeah okay thanks danny i appreciate that so i think it's really valuable massively okay so going full circle um three more questions and we are done so cool. right at the start i should pick six numbers Okay, these six numbers tallied to a random list of um, things that I have on my iPad. Mm -hmm. So the story is this, you're on a desert island and you find these six items, what are you going to do with them? Sorry, it was four items. Um, you found a bottle cap, a, rub <laughs> a rubber band, um, wow. a pair of stockings <laughs> and a spring. Okay. Uh, what, a spring? Yeah, a spring. A spring, wow. Um, okay, so um, well, so uh, you could probably make if you're on a desert island, you can make a pretty good weapon, I think, from a rubber band and a spring. Okay. So uh, you could, uh, you know, you got like you got double sort of uh, trajectory and, uh, and and range with that. So uh, you probably probably go hunting, uh, find find yourself some food to tie you over, um, and then I've got a, what was it, a bottle top and some stockings. Yep. So uh, yeah, so some some stockings. Oh, well, what could you do with those? Yeah, I suppose you could <laughs> fill them. You could you could fill them with sand, um, and then you could. Well, no, actually, you could probably fill them with with water or something that would float, um, and uh, and and put a message in there, and uh, and and send that off to sea. Um, <laughs> get okay. rid of the stockings. And uh, <laughs> do you get generally get good answers to these questions? Or not? Never, never, <laughs> never get good answers. But... That makes you feel better. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and and the bottle top, I would just bury it, and then if someone else in the future gets stranded there, they would say they would think, oh, there's been some uh, some someone here before. So um, I, there's hope for me because they must have got off this island. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so I mean, <laughs> right at the very start, going full circle, I asked you what you wanted to be when you grow older. And I guess, Paul, as you know, we're constantly growing. And as you've mentioned throughout this podcast, it's kind of all about your personal development and you growing as much as everybody else and, and kind of sharing. But if I was to say to you now, Paul, what do you want to be when you grow older, knowing full well we would never stop, what would you answer be? Uh, I would probably say um, a teacher. And I don't mean literally a teacher. Um, well, no, sorry, no, no. Actually, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that's probably a bit. Arrogant. I'd probably say remembered. Um, and I would, I would say a, a, a lot of what I do, and you know, part of this is the the reason I blog. Um, part of this is, um, you know, the reason at work I try and you know interact with lots of different teams and stuff. Is it's all about that sort of what do I call it sometimes an, an immortality complex, um, and that whole you know wanting to sort of leave a little bit of an imprint um, and uh, and not disappear from history. Okay, that's beautiful. So, so where can people go to find out a little bit more about what you're up to and kind of yeah, where can we find you? Yeah, so um, as you've already mentioned, there's my uh, my blog, which is um, deepfat.co.uk. So uh, fat spelled P H A T. Obviously, that's a play on my my surname Fryer, as in Deep Fat Fryer, um, <laughs> and, and, and an eighties hip hop reference as well. Um, and um, you can find me on Twitter under the same thing. So deep underscore fat, um, I'm on there. And then um, I'm on LinkedIn as well, where I'm, I just call myself my actual name. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, listen, Paul, let me take a time out to, again, really appreciate you helping me when when I've had questions or kind of like need a better understanding of something. It's really, you know, I personally appreciate it. Um, but yeah. That's no, cool. No, keep keep, send, keep sending stuff over, Danny, and I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I find it really interesting monitoring what, what you're up to. You're the most prolific uh, social media person I know, and you, I don't know how you keep feeding all those different ch- different channels yeah it's, it, I'm, I'm getting to the point now where like so i have my podcast i have my meetup i have this community what i've built and i'm like and then now i've just took on this kind of all hush hush side project as well yeah so, how much of that actually pays the bills um realistically none of it none of it <laughs> none of it right this second i think yeah um that's that's good going though as i said i um i mean i i always think oh i need to be i need to be putting more stuff out on social media but then you think well i don't want to be like rah rah look at me so what i try and i tend to do is sort of leave i keep like notes for my blog on my phone and i wait for it all to sort of come together and tie themes up and then write more long form and that have that focus time rather than doing it little and often but um yeah so yeah i admire that you're you're um you're, you're producing that much stuff Awesome. That's that's good. I like that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's probably well, yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, that's okay. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. As I said, um uh, not as an L and D professional. Hopefully uh, I haven't keep get kept going off piste and talking uh, marketing. No, no, no. I think everybody who will listen to this will will um appreciate it and get a lot from it. Definitely. Cool. Thank you, Danny. Ace. Cheers, Paul. Okay, cheers, mate. Enjoy seeing you. Bye bye. Okay, bye.